Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, church. Excited to get in God's Word with all of you. So if you do have your copy of God's Word, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Exodus, chapter 4. Exodus 4. Table's got a little wobble here. All right, there we go. Uh, So we are continuing our series called No More Excuses. And I think this is a timely series because we have a tendency of doing this, especially at this time of year. You know, we we typically start out the year strong with these goals, these resolutions, wanting to become a better version of ourselves, wanting to be good stewards as Christians of all that the Lord has given us. But oftentimes what happens is we begin to make excuses. We begin to settle. We begin to abandon what God has called us to do in our own lives. Last week, we were reading an encounter that Moses had with God. And this encounter that Moses had with God literally changed his life. And not just Moses' life, but many, many others as well, the whole nation of Israel. But prior to that, Moses had really messed up. Moses had killed a man, pretty serious He killed an Egyptian that he saw beating one of his own people, an Israelite. And so Moses runs away. And for 40 years, he's out in the wilderness. And he goes to this place called Midian. And as he's in Midian, he becomes this shepherd. And he takes on this humble life, just kind of going about his business. He takes on a wife and has children. And that's, that's what he's doing. He started a new life out in the wilderness. But then 40 years after Moses flees Egypt, God gets Moses' attention with this burning bush. And in this encounter, we've been learning that Moses receives a call from God, which brings us to where we will pick up this morning. I know you just sat, but what we like to do for the initial reading of God's Word is to stand. So if you are able, would you mind standing in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'm going to read Exodus 4, verses 1 through 15, which reads, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? 
Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. We're going to walk through portions of this text together as well as kind of going back to chapter 3 a bit. And so right now what we're going to do is we're going to pick up the baton of where we left off last week. And so our first takeaway is this. Say yes to God's calling. Say yes to God's calling. And let's remember what God's calling was for Moses. So turn back, if you would, to chapter 3, and let's look at verses 9 and 10 together, which says, And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. This is God. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So God had a pretty weighty calling for Moses. Moses' people, the nation of Israel, they were in serious trouble. For 400 years, they've been in slavery. But God is telling Moses, hey, look, I'm going to send you to them, and you're going to take them to a land flowing with milk and honey. I love the personal nature of this encounter. God doesn't appear to the whole nation of Israel or all the people in Midian. He doesn't appear to a group at all. He appears to Moses alone. And in fact, it's very personal what God says to Moses. Look at verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Just think about that moment for a second. The God of all creation was right there in front of Moses. And then he calls Moses by name. Moses. Moses. Y'all remember that song we used to sing in church, He Knows My Name? It's true. God knows our names. And not just like in a general sense, like he's looking at a roster of earth and being like, oh yeah, I'm familiar with these names. No, he knows your name. He knows you intimately. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And for some of us, that's changing. He knows you well. And not only does he know you well and intimately, God actually has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. He has things that he wants you to become, and he has things that he wants you to do. If you think about the story of Moses, if I'm putting myself in Moses' shoes, I'm probably thinking about myself, God's done with me. I've really, really messed up. I've killed someone. And in fact, I've messed up so bad, I'm going to run away and not come back. And then four decades pass. What could God do with someone like that? 
I don't know if you need to hear this this morning or not, but nonetheless, I think we all need to hear it at some point. God's not done with you. Let me say that again very clearly to you personally. God's not done with you. No matter what you've done, no matter your failures, no matter the falls in your life, no matter the times that you've dropped the ball, no matter the nature of the sin that you have committed in your heart, in your mind, with your actions, with your decisions, God is not done with you. We serve a God who is a God of second chances. Amen, church? And get this, he's also the God of third chances and fourth and fifth chances. It reminds me of that song, Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. And that's not a justification, as Paul would clarify in the New Testament, that if grace abounds, does that mean that I can just go on sinning? No, As Paul said, may it never be. We should be repenting of sin. But I do want to speak to you this morning. If you have a past, if you have those failures, maybe (laughs) that's not your past, it's, it's your now. There's some ways that you've really dropped the ball. I want to clarify to you, God is not done with you. I sincerely believe God has plans for you. He has a calling for you. And it's our responsibility to say yes to that calling, to be faithful as children of God. Amen? So number one, we need to say yes to God's calling. Let's move to our second encouragement, which is simply this. Stop making excuses. Maybe we need to hear that this morning. Stop making excuses. Uh, To the parents in the room, Without raising your hands, how many of you have asked your kids or told your kids to do something and they give you a litany of really lame excuses? You don't have to raise your hand. I think we could all raise our hands, right? And hey, we can all say we've done that before, right? As children. At the very least, if you're an honest parent, you will say, yeah, I have the occasional eye roll because they're just terrible. The excuses are, are not valid. There's no substance to those excuses. And as silly as some of those excuses sound to us parents, that's about the way the excuses that Moses goes on to offer God. So God appears to Moses He places a calling on Moses' life. And how does Moses respond? Well, he begins saying, but God this, but God that. And I think it's important that we look at these excuses because when you really drill down to the nature of these excuses, they're actually excuses that we use all the time. And so I want us as a church family to look at these excuses together. And there's four that Moses offers. So let's begin by looking at this first excuse. Look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I, God? And what he's basically saying is, God, I'm not qualified. I'm not. I don't really have a whole lot to offer, God. I am not qualified. 
And so God appears to Moses, gives this very clear calling. Hey, I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to bring your people out of Egypt, to which Moses initially says, who am I that I should go? Church, can we look at the nature of that problem? Can we look at the problem with that excuse? He says, who am I? Who's the focus of that question? It's us, right? Who am I? I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but I, want, I hope you hear this. When God calls us to do something, the success of that calling in your life has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with your qualifications. It has nothing to do with what you bring to the table. No, we don't see that in the scriptures. What we see is people who get out of the way and let God work. And we need to relish in the fact that our God is capable of much. Amen? Uh, Let's reflect on a few texts from the Old Testament, or one text from the Old Testament, one from the New. Here's Psalm 62, verse 11. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to who? To God. Power belongs to the Lord our God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Once again, Paul, talking to the church, says, hey, be strong, but how? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The Christian walk, our Christian faith is not about us and our strength and our qualifications and our talents and our abilities. No, no, and big no. It's all about God, his strength, what he is capable of. And I love how God clarifies to Moses who he is, who God is. Look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. What an interesting name for himself that God offers. I am. Present tense. God didn't say, I was, I might be, or I could be, I think I am. No, I am. I am has sent me to you. In church, I, I believe that's important for us as well. Because we're reading about a story that took place a long time ago. And it's a temptation sometimes for us today to read stories like these and be like, God was. He sure was. God did a lot of cool stuff. Church, God is. God is mighty today. God is strong today. God is faithful today. God is holy today. God is majestic today. Today And church, we really can trust God just like Moses did in those days. Amen? Amen. May we be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, regardless of how qualified we might feel. 
Which leads us to the second excuse. Look at Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And what was Moses basically saying? What will people think? God, what are people going to think? I love our midweek studies here at Downtown Church. I would highly encourage you to join us. To clarify, this is not Pastor David preaching to you every Wednesday night as well. You get that here. But on Wednesday nights, we have an opportunity to interact with one another. And we were discussing how sometimes in our Christian faith, in our lives today, we have a tendency and really a temptation to be timid about our faith in the Lord. I was reminded, uh, I was thinking about that gathering this past Wednesday when we discussed this. And, uh, and did anyone listen to Stephen Curtis Chapman back in the day? Anyone? I loved Stephen Curtis Chapman. And he had this one song that he, he called Live Out Loud. And the whole idea with the song was to live your Christian faith out loud, not like in an obnoxious way, but in a public way, so that people around you see that you clearly have hope in Jesus in the midst of this hard world. So in comes the temptation. The temptation being that we might be tempted to hold back because we're scared of what they might think. Maybe for you, a part of God's calling on your life is to, to be a light like a city set on a hill in your office for all your coworkers to see. And maybe you're tempted to pull back because what are they going to think? Or maybe you're scared to, uh, maybe at lunch one day, you're hanging out with an old friend or you're hanging out with a coworker or maybe even a family member. And you've got some Christian convictions about what's going on in society. And you think the Bible clearly speaks to that, but you hold back because you're scared of what they might think. I think there's all kinds of scenarios where we might be tempted to pull back. Which, church, that's just a really sad way to live. God has not called us to live with a spirit of fear but of power and love. Love is very important, okay? You can come across pretty obnoxious to your lost friends if you're not careful, but you can come across with power and love and self-control. But Moses doesn't stop there. He has a third excuse. Look at Exodus 4, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. And what Moses was pretty much saying here is, I've got too many faults. God, I hear what you're asking me to do. I'm looking at me, and I've done a self-evaluation. I've got some bad news for you. I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. I've got some faults here. God, I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. I don't talk all that well. I didn't talk good back then. I'm not even talking good right now. And Moses is looking at himself and is critiquing himself. And we probably do the same thing all the time. 
we probably say things like, well, I, I want to be a light in my workplace. I, I want to be a light in my family, but I don't know the Bible really well. One thing I'd say is read your Bible. That's a good, good place to start. Maybe you're thinking, I don't know how to answer questions if I start talking about my Christian faith. Maybe you're thinking, you just don't know enough to talk confidently about the Lord. Church, our faults and our weaknesses, they are not a problem with God fulfilling his calling through you. That's never been an issue. All of our faults, all of our shortcomings, all of our weaknesses. As I heard a pastor say years ago, God does not call the qualified. You know where this goes. He qualifies the called. Let me say that again. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. We see this all throughout the Bible. God called a man with no construction experience whatsoever to build a massive ark. To save all the species of animals in the world. God called a scrawny teenage boy to go toe-to-toe with a giant and to slay that giant. God called these uneducated fishermen to stand up to the religious leaders of their day and to speak with confidence. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And so, church, I would say to you and I would say to me that the faults, the perceived inadequacies, they're not stop signs for the power of God in our lives. They're absolutely not. They're actually opportunities for the power of God to shine brightly through us. I think the Apostle Paul says as much in his letter to the church at Corinth. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God uses foolish things according to this world's standards. He uses weak things and weak people with weaknesses all the time. This is how our God operates. And so I would urge us, if we are thinking God can't use me because fill in the blank, just stop there. That's not a valid excuse. God can work through a willing vessel, always. There's one more excuse that Moses makes, and I'd like for us to sit here for just a moment because I think this is probably the most common excuse we see in our church culture. And we see this excuse in chapter 4, verse 13. Exodus 4.13, Moses simply says, But he said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. And what was Moses basically saying? Let someone else do it. God, just please let someone else do it. And the following verses say, The anger of the Lord was kindled. Uh, If that's not true of our church culture, I don't know what is. In church, I'm going to say a few things, and maybe they come across harsh to you. And I don't, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just looking at our church culture, and I'm seeing some things that are unhealthy in this respect. A lot of times there's Christian parents in our church culture, and they love the idea of their son or their daughter walking with the Lord faithfully. 
They love the idea of their children growing up to be men of God and women of God, and they see the need for their children to become this, this calling. But a lot of times there's Christian parents that are not willing to put in the work. They're not willing to pour into their children. And so the strategy that's been developed in our church culture is, I don't really want to do this, or I don't know how to do this, so I'm just going to get them to church and let the professionals handle this. And I want to clarify the vision of downtown church here. Please don't get me wrong. We love pouring into your kids. We love pointing your kids to Jesus. But our goal is to not take over that primary disciple-making role. Our goal as a church is to partner with you so that we're echoing the things that they're hearing at home. So I want to urge you as parents, please make disciples first and foremost in your own home. Point those kids to Jesus and let us join with you. And together we can do that. But I don't think it's just there that we see this. I think there's a lot of people that go to church that love all the ministries that churches have to offer, but a lot of times most are not willing to serve in any capacity. In seminary, they they teach us about the 90-10 rule. Maybe you've heard about that before, where 90% of the church is content with 10% of the church doing all the work. Thankfully, our ratio is a little better here, but... Uh, Church, I want to be clear. The church needs you. And the church needs you because this is God's design for the church. That we are one body with many members. And the, the whole goal, the whole plan of this is that all the members have these different giftings. And all the members have these different abilities and talents and opportunities. And we all, when we all pitch in a little, when we all work together, something pretty spectacular happens. Uh, Last week, I shared a little bit about a direction our church is heading in in 2024. So in 2023, we really focused on this idea of creating. We were creating new weekly ministries, new life groups, focusing on new love where you live projects and more. And so there was a lot of things that we were kind of establishing in 2023. Now we're shifting our focus We're changing gears to focusing more on engagement, focusing more on depth. And so I want to encourage you to consider, am I engaging with God's calling on my life? And I believe that part of your calling on your life is how you engage with your church family as brothers and sisters in Christ, members of this one body. So... God had a calling for Moses. He has a calling for you. We need to stop making excuses. Last point we'll look at is this. Surrender your staff. Surrender your staff. Let's go to Exodus chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. 
I love that question that God plainly asked Moses. Hey, Moses, what you got in your hand? And Moses just says, well, it's, it's a staff, God, you know. Nothing special. It's just a stick. And Moses would use this stick for a variety of reasons. He'd, he'd beat off the predators from his flock. He'd nudge a sheep back onto the path. Maybe in the heat of the day, he's kind of leaning on the staff, or at night, he's leaning on that staff as he's watching his flock as a shepherd. And God asked Moses to take this ordinary stick, and what does he ask him to do? He says, hey, Moses, take your staff and throw it on the ground. And Moses did. He throws it on the ground, and it becomes a serpent, and it scared Moses to death. It says that Moses starts running away from the serpent, which we would all do, by the way, right? But then God asks him to do something else. He tells Moses to pick it up. He says, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. Y'all, I don't do snakes. I just don't. And I know there's good snakes and bad snakes, but my heart doesn't know that. Like my head does, but my heart doesn't. I just don't have it in me. But God asked Moses, hey, grab it. Catch it by the tail. And Moses does, and that serpent, that snake, becomes a staff again. Uh, Look at verses 4 and 5 here of Exodus 4. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. If you take a step back and you think about what's going on here, God takes a seemingly insignificant man, that's a shepherd, and he ends up doing something pretty amazing with that man. And he takes a seemingly insignificant stick that's in Moses' hand, and all of a sudden it becomes the rod of God. And God allows Moses to use this staff to do some pretty spectacular things. And if you follow the life and ministry of Moses, he has the same staff. And he walked up to the Nile River and he touches the water with it and it becomes blood. Moses takes that same staff and he raises his hand up with the staff in his hand and the waters separate. As he's leading God's people through the wilderness, he takes his staff and he taps a rock with it and water comes gushing out of it. God took this seemingly insignificant, ordinary piece of wood and did something amazing with it. Here's what I believe we're seeing in the scriptures, and here's what I believe is still true for us today. Let's consider this together. When you give something to God and he gives it back to you, it becomes a useful tool to accomplish his purpose for you. Let me read that again. Think about that. When you give something to God and he gives it back to you, it becomes a useful tool to accomplish his purpose for you. Moses had a staff in his hand. I wonder, what do you have in your hand this morning? What do you have at your disposal? Maybe it's a job, a car, a house, a family. What is that in your hand? Lay it down. Let the Lord use that. Maybe what you're holding on to this morning is your past. And you're thinking, God can't use me because of this. 
lay it down. I believe if you lay that down at the feet of Jesus, that he can transform that into something. He can use that to be a useful tool for kingdom purposes, to fulfill the call of God on your life. I don't know what you have in your hand this morning, but I do believe God wants you to lay it down. And I do believe that God wants to use it for your good and the good of others and for his glory. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes at this time. If our band would go ahead and get in place. We're going to enter into what we call a time of response. I would urge each of us to consider how we might need to respond to the word of God this morning. And that is what we've been reading, the word of God. Maybe you've been looking at your own life, looking at your life patterns lately. And if you're being honest, you've been making some excuses. Maybe you need to very simply make a commitment to God right now. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop making those excuses. Maybe you have something in your life you need to lay down. Maybe that's become an idol in your life. Lay it down. Allow the Lord to use that. Lord, we thank you for who you are. And we're humbled by the fact that you know our name. You know everything about us. And you want to use us to do your will. Lord, I pray for anyone in this sanctuary or anyone listening to this message later that might not know you. Maybe they need to lay down their life to you. Maybe they need to surrender to King Jesus for the first time ever. And if that is you this morning, I would encourage you to pray a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I give you everything. Lord, we thank you for this body. We ask for your blessings in the days to come that we might be that city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. That this community in this city might see the power and might of God working in us. We love you and we give you praise. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray.